And then he just walked straight up to me and said, you used to be a Christian, didn't you? And I was like, yes, you know, and he's like, why don't you give your life back to Jesus? And the whole time he was telling me, Jesus loves you and he wants you back. And so I was like, okay. So I told him, I just, I don't know. I was like, I don't feel right, you know. So then he got up and he said, have you ever seen me before? And I said, no. And he goes, I've never seen you before a day in my life. So who do you think is talking to you? And then he walked away. Once fall short that I am sure they'll never be anyone like you. You're strong like your father, even when you were scared. When I was in trouble, you never left me there. Welcome to Unsung Heroes. This is Melissa Kanaj, and we're privileged to have Ruby Falang with us today. Hi, Ruby. How are you doing today? Doing great, Melissa. Thank you. Hello. Yes. Uh, well, Ruby, for those that don't know about you or know who you are, introduce yourself with like a conference-style report of who you are, who you're married to, and what God's been doing in your life lately. Okay. Well, I'm married to the most awesome evangelist, Ray Falang. Um, he's been evangelizing for now for eight years. I guard the home front, of course. I don't get to go with them all the time, which is okay with me. I don't like to travel. It makes me tired. Um, and what I do is I'm actually homeschooling a group of kids right now, uh, some from our church, some from a different church. And I pretty much see it as my ministry. I, I homeschool them, I, and I'm working on conduct and uh, salvation-type issues like the whole time. Other than that, I serve in my church. Uh, I do Sunday school. I clean. I do whatever Yolanda needs me to do. And that's pretty much it. I have, I'm, we're about to be uh, grandparents again. So we have oh, one grandson. Go. Yes, I'm so excited. We have one grandson. He's um, my daughter, Ashley's. We have five kids, by the way. So my daughter, Ashley's son, but they live in the Carolina, so we never get to see him. So it makes me sad. Um, but my son, Aiden, he's married and he's at the border right now. He's guarding the, the border. Mm -hmm. And his wife, who is from Ghana is uh, going to be having a baby at the end of October. It's going to be a little girl, and I'm so excited. Oh, congratulations. Have, yeah, so and then my, we have my son here. He's um, 18, and he's about to be moving out soon. He runs his own business, and that's what's going on in my life. Okay, <laughs> okay great. Um, so can you um, share a little bit about how you grew up, what your family life was like, or you know, how would you describe your childhood? Okay, I it, I had a great childhood, and then I had a really bad childhood at the same time. So my parents, they were two wonderful parents. They they loved us. They did a lot for us. Um, but they And they loved each other, but they just couldn't get on the same page, so they couldn't get along. And so there was a lot of fighting. My father, he, he we used to call him our rock star dad because he lived like a rock star, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he died in his 70s, and in his 70s, he was still getting into DWI accidents and barroom brawls. Wow. You know? So and he was very much involved in the political scene. So we grew up like I grew up watching my dad. He um he was very much an advocate politically. He fought for Hispanics' rights for Hispanics to get equal pay. Um, he actually formed the Raza Unida with uh, Ciro Rodriguez here, 
And so it's funny because when we went to the valley, somebody told me, you're not Rasa. And I'm like, I'm not. Like, my dad formed the party. Like, you know? <laughs> and so, at least in San Antonio, right? And so, um, so you know, but my dad, because he was involved in that scene, he, he was also involved in the party scene, right? There's a lot of partying going on. My mom wanted a quiet, simple life. So they would fight a lot. And sometimes it would get violent. So I grew up because my father was good to us. And he would be good to my mom except that they would fight you know what I mean I mean he was it's not like he was just like a horrible abusive person it's just that they were getting to fights and sometimes they would turn violent um and so he uh so I grew up like hating him and I grew up saying I'm never gonna give my heart to a man I'm never gonna trust a man you know what I'm gonna beat on them and I'm gonna cheat on them before they do it to me and so I actually wouldn't date anybody like because I honestly thought I was gonna marry Bruce Dickinson. Like I did not start dating until my the end of my high school years, which we shouldn't be dating anyways, right? But I wasn't <laughs> saved. <laughs> I wasn't saved. But whenever a guy was interested in me, I was like, I'm marrying Bruce Dickinson for Iron Maiden, and you're just a kid. What do you have to offer me? Nothing, you know. <laughs> and so I wouldn't go out with anybody, and I wasn't interested. Um, and then I remember thinking, okay, so I got to meet Bruce Dickinson when I was 14, and mm. so. I remember telling one of my friends, because I grew up Catholic, right? And telling one of my friends, man, if I can meet him, I will die happy. So I go to the concert. I'm in actually first row at the concert. And then I got backstage passes. Actually, my sister got backstage passes and she dissed me and took a boyfriend and left me out in the back. But oh. they felt sorry for me. The, the roadies felt sorry for me. So they got me a pass and took me in. <laughs> and so then I remember, you know, when... Um, Kind of like video killed the radio star. Like you get disappointed when you, well, I liked Bruce Dickinson because I thought, oh, he's so tough and so manly and he's so smart because all the songs he wrote were historical and he I, he was a history professor. But when I met him, I was like, he's really kind of a big bat. <laughs> like he seemed dingy. And then, so then I remember telling my friend, I'm going to die. God's going to punish me because I grew up here. He said, and so I was like, it's not worth it. I met him and it wasn't worth it. I don't want to die now. <laughs> but so... I grew up, I was raised Catholic, um, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, I wasn't like a very good Catholic. I remember going to my second confession and my mom picking me up after confession and said to her, mom, this doesn't work. And she's like, why? And I said, because this year's confession was worse than last year's confession. And she's like, what did you tell the priest? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and my whole family went over there, right? And then also it was there that I learned about idolatry being a sin in CCD. We were covering mm. the commandment every day. And that's where I learned the scripture, thou shalt not commit idolatry, thou shalt not make for yourself any graven an image, not of the heaven above, not of the earth or of the sea below, because the Lord your God is a jealous God, and he'll visit the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. I learned that as a kid in wow. Catholic school, in CCD. And then I went into mass, and there's the holy water, and there's all the statues and the idols, and the also with you. And, and I was like, this is all idolatry. Like, this is all bad. They just told me not to do it. So I sat in there like this. I'm 11 years old. And I'm just like, I'm not doing any of it. Right? They just told me it was bad. And it's going to send me to hell. My grandkids are going to pay for it. <laughs> and so I'm not doing it. So my mom picks me up. I told her, I'm not coming back. And she's like, you have to. I said, dad doesn't come to church. And I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know what's right. I know this isn't right. They told me themselves it's not right. And so at that point, I sure wasn't a Christian. I was very much a sinner, but I knew that that wasn't right. And that wasn't the path I was going to go. Wow. You know, yeah. Yeah. For, go so, oh, um, from down. Uh -huh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say from there on, the only time I ever went to the Catholic church was for a wedding, a quinceanera, um, and that was pretty much it. Wow. So was there any major events um, growing up that had a profound impact on your life? Very profound. Uh, when I was 14 years old, my parents had a divorce. Mm, and my okay. dad was actually, they had been married for 23 years. And mm -hmm. so I actually, because of how bad the fighting was getting, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I remember telling my mom, mom, either you divorce dad or I'm leaving and you will never see me again. Because if dad catches me after running away, I wow. know it won't be good. And so if you do not divorce him, I, I'm leaving. I can't handle this anymore. And I, I think she was already probably working it in her mind. And I actually carried that guilt for a long time after I got saved that I was the one who actually told her you're gonna divorce him or I'm leaving. Um, but I think she was probably in the work. She had been dealing with this for 23 years. They couldn't get on the same page. They weren't saved, you know? And so, um, so, so yeah, so, but he got served like three days before Christmas. And I remember watching them on the sofa. When my dad got served, it like hit him like a ton of bricks. And then my mom got home and they were sitting on the sofa just crying and crying together. And it was breaking my heart, but in my mind, I was like, but it's for the best. It's for the best because it's a horrible environment here. They're always fighting. Either they're fighting or my dad's passed out drunk. And so I couldn't, I just couldn't stand it. And I remember like um, one time, so I was involved in color guard in high school and I worked a job. I was like in all the advanced honors classes. And I was, I was a drinker. I was a heavy drinker. Already at 14, I would go to school drunk. And so my counselor one time, because I fell down the stairs at school until they took me into the counselor's office. And it's totally the grace of God that they never like turned me into the authorities. Mm -hmm. But I think because my dad worked for the school district and he had, he was a functioning alcoholic. He had a very good, you love him or you hate him, right? Because there's a lot of politics in school. Mm -hmm. But at least at my school, he had a lot of favor. <laughs> and so, um, so they liked me a lot too. I was a good student. You know, I didn't cause any trouble. It's just that I had a friend who was already married in high school and her husband like would have beer at the house and we could go get drunk before we went to school, you know, and we did. And so, um, so the counselor told me, you're the youngest alcoholic that I know. Like you come to school drunk all the time. Don't think we don't mm -hmm. notice it, you know, but my grades were awesome. I was, we were top 10 in the nation in color guard. I was like a starter. Uh, top three in the nation one year, you know, Texas State Champions all our years, and I had my job, you know, so it's like I was functioning. Um, and so where did I go with that? So, oh, okay, so go ahead. No, I was say you were 14 and you already had a job too? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. uh, because at that, at that point, my parents had already, like, they were already separating, and so my mom was like, Ruby, for you to be able to do everything you do, you're going to have to be able to pay for it. Like, I can't pay for it. And I don't know how it's going to go with your dad right now because they were not on good terms. And so I'm going to have to probably fight for the child support. And so she's like, you're going to have to get a job. So I went and I went to the mall and I lied, said that I was 16. Um, but two weeks later, I told my boss, like, you know, I'm only 14, right? He goes, I can tell you're young, but you work good. So I'm going to keep you. And wow. I was like, well, just go with your application age. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, so um, oh, wow. yeah. So, and actually he would kind of use me in the summers like a manager because uh, he said that I worked so well, you know? Yeah. But so, so the divorce, it hit me really hard. But at the time, like it would hurt watching them falling apart, you know, cause I knew that they loved each other and everything. And I felt like this is my fault. But at the same time, I was like, my mom shouldn't live like this. None of us should live like this. 
And I just saw my dad as the blame of everything. And in a mm -hmm. way he was, because he was the drinker and he was the one who wouldn't settle down, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, my mom would make it hard for him too because she was always nagging at him. And everybody, you know, it takes two to tangle, right? Yeah. So, you know, she wasn't blameless, right? Um, and we, you know, we, I mean, we just tried to do the best we could. I would, you know, there could be a horrible fight in the morning before school or a horrible fight the night before where even the cops were called and everything. And the next morning I would just go and I would function. And I just, I didn't want to talk about my problems. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I wanted to get away from that, you know? And I remember in our group having a friend that he was always like, oh, my poor life, what was me, you know? This is going on and that's going on. And I remember telling him one time, you know, we all have our problems and we all have our issues and we come together because we want to have a good time. And if you can't have a good time, then you need to get out of the group because you're ruining my good time and I want to have a good time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, yeah. so he just kind of like stopped, you know, giving us his pity party. But, um, but right. I mean, I mean, I don't know. That's yeah. the way I thought about it. Nobody disagreed with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so nobody said, Ruby, that's mean or anything. Right. I just told you, shut up and get out, you know? And so, um, so yeah, so that was it. And I grew up because of all that. Well, first of all, the way I was raised, like I was not raised to be domestic by any means. My father's like, you girls are gonna work in a man's world because this is the 70s, right? So that's when mm -hmm. I can bring home the bacon commercial came out because the women's <laughs> lib was coming up. And so my dad is like, because he had he wanted sons, but he got a bunch of daughters at first. And so he's like, my girls are going to work in a man's world. Y'all are just as smart as any man. And you're not, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to suffer because you're a woman. And he taught us to be very independent. And he would tell people like, uh, -uh. he's like, my girls are not going to have to put up with a jerk. And I think because my mom had to put up with him. I don't know. He wasn't a total <laughs> jerk though. He wasn't. I thought he was and I hated him for years. But now um, that I'm more mature and looking back, I just see like, you know, he did the best that he could with what he had. You know what I mean? And so, um, and, you know, because, you know, alcoholism ran in his family. They were all alcoholics. And so his dad died when he was three years old because of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so, and so yeah. your your mom didn't never drink. So you got you think you got that from your dad's side? Yes, for sure. For sure. Because my mom was a drinker. Even I remember one time my mom was mad at my dad. And she's trying to smoke a cigarette, right? And she's choking and coughing. And we're laughing at her. We're like, Mom, give it up. You can't do it. You know? <laughs> but she's like, I'm going to do something bad, you know? <laughs> so what would, um, your spiritual or religious background was Catholic Church. Was there anybody in your family that was ever saved? Or do you, you know, anything like that that you think had an influence on your life? Definitely. Um, my cousin and I had a discussion because she's in the ministry in her church and I've been in the ministries for years too. And so we were talking and her brother is also in the ministry in their church and we were talking about it. And I was saying, it's so weird how, because we come from a line of alcoholics that we're all saved and we're in the ministry, you know? And she goes, I don't think it's funny at all. Cause she's a lot older than I am. Mm -hmm. And I go, no, she goes, no, she goes, I remember, she goes, I'm old enough to remember hearing grandma seeing her on her knees and praying for all of us and calling us out by name for Jesus to save us. She goes, so I don't think it's funny at all. And then when I got saved and I started witnessing to my father, it was actually, um, I was 19 and it was actually a very intense moment with my dad because um, I'm witnessing to, I had been witnessing to him and one day he comes over to my house and he's drunk and I'm witnessing to him and telling him, dad, you got to stop living like this. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell. You know, I don't want that yeah. for you. Because 
God really, when I got saved, God nailed me and dealt with me to forgive him. And I remember being at the altar and crying, saying, I don't want to forgive him. Like I should have had a better life. My parents shouldn't be divorced. I don't want to forgive him. But uh, and Heather Anderson coming up to me and praying with me mm -hmm. and telling me, Ruby, if you don't forgive him, what you bind on earth is found in heaven. And it could be the very thing that keeps him from getting saved. And I was like, well, I don't want him to burn. And so I'm crying like, okay, forgive him. <laughs> But, yeah. But so anyway, so now I'm witnessing to him and I'm, you know, chilling with him. And then he just tells me, you know, Mija, there's nothing about the Bible you can tell me that I don't already know. He said, I used to be a Christian. He said, I used to preach on the radio. He goes, I got saved in the military. I got into the ministry. I was the song service leader in my church. And he goes, I was mm -hmm. very, he goes, he goes, I was very, very involved. He goes, but when I got out of the military, I came back and I was surrounded with my old friends and I ended up, you know, going back into my sin. And he goes, and I figure out, oh, just take up Catholicism because they let me drink. And so, and and it's true because I would get so mad because when we would go like to the festivals at the Catholic church and stuff, the priest would be drinking with my father and I would be watching from a distance irate because I'm like, that is destroying my family. And he should be telling my dad not to drink and he's drinking with him and I would be so mad. I was just a little girl, but it would make mm -hmm. me so mad, you know? So I was like, it's causing all these fights and you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so when he told me that, that he had been saved and everything, he thought I was going to be happy. And I remember just like, just this rage building up inside of me and telling me, you mean I didn't have to grow up watching you drink your life away. I didn't have to grow up seeing you hit mom. I didn't have to be a child of divorce. Look at how your decisions played out in our lives. This, this sibling has illegitimate kids. This sibling has so many divorces. This, you know, look at what you've done to us. You're selfish. You're a selfish man. And he left my house crying. He just got in the car and left and he was weeping. And I was just so mad. But then I was like, okay, again, I had to deal with forgiving him, right? And yeah. and I'm glad that I did because I entered into a 20-year relationship where because I was the youngest for a long time until my brother kicked me off the throne. Um, <laughs> How many uh, siblings do you have? I have three siblings, two older sisters and one little brother. Okay. And so... Um, but my dad, he's so funny because he didn't want me to be jealous and that they were having a boy and that I wasn't going to be the baby. So I was a baby for 10 years. He bought a record company and named it after me, named it Ruby Records. And somehow that was supposed to keep me from being jealous. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm 10 years old. I go, okay, I don't care. But that's what I'm telling you. He was a good dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, and, you know, he did a lot for us. Like, he, we were, like, okay, so, you know, we weren't saved. So, you know, he took us to go see Duran Duran in Houston. He'd take us to the wrestling matches. Like, you know, like he wanted us to have fun and do great things. And he would make opportunities for us. When I took typing in high school, I had already taken it in junior high, but he didn't know. But I took it in high school and he, because he worked for the school district and he was a supervisor in the school district. He went and he called mm -hmm. me out of class. He's like, man, get your things. And he's like, you're coming with me? I'm like, okay. So I get on my books. And I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we're going to change your schedule. And I was like, why? Like, I chose this class, right? Because I thought, oh, I've already taken it. It'll be an easy grade, you know? <laughs> and so he goes, you don't need to know how to type. You're not going to be a secretary. You're going to be the boss. And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. And so, so, and honestly, like the power of the spoken word, like I always wrote to leadership in every job that I had. I always wrote to management or leadership, you know, really quick. And I think it's because my dad would speak that over me. Um, but so there, there he was saved. And I do believe because he was in the ministry, right? And I'm the only, I'm, okay, I'm the child that got the most spankings because I'm the most vocal. And you can see I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
And my dad always taught us to like, you know, you stand up for yourself no matter what, no matter what the consequences. If you know you're right, you don't back down. You know, he's like, you, you, you stand up for yourself. No matter, you know, if you go down fighting, that's okay. If you know you were right, then go down, but fight for what you believe is right. So, uh, so I was like, well, that applies to you too, right, dad? You know? I got a lot of spankings and he was very godly in his discipline. You know, he really was. We mm -hmm. had the fear of God, but we didn't really serve God. You know, we didn't serve God, you know, but you know, we, we better do right or he was going to put his foot down with us and there was consequences and we didn't want them. And so, so, um, okay. So, so I think, I think that it's kind of like the mantle was passed. It's to me, I think it's funny that I married a man who's in the ministry and actually my husband, he, I, Thought he was my brother like i thought you know i made him take a blood test because i was like there's too many similarities between you and my brother and my dad and like uh, wow. i, I want to find out after kids that we're related <laughs> so before i marry you you're going to take a blood test you know so, wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh how did you meet your husband before or after salvation so Okay, and this is why. So I met him after salvation. I met him at the church um, back when we were on Zarzamora in military, and um, mm -hmm. it was in the eighties. Um, but his uncle was my next door neighbor. We danced for the same flamenco studio. We went to the same Catholic church, and we didn't know each other. I was like, they didn't want us to know each other. I bet you're my brother. I would tell. <laughs> Uh, wow okay so that makes me think like what was your life before christ because now you're saying you dance uh flamenco so what was your life like okay so we know you when you were a kid so now growing up what what was it like how old were you when you got saved and what was your was your life like before that okay so my dad really really instituted intelligence and education right like that's what he instilled in us like you know you need to use your brain that's like and my mom was like my girls are beautiful they need to be you know working in that area. So because my mom was very beautiful. So my mom had me in um, dancing, acting and modeling from a young age. I was doing commercials and stuff. Um, and and I would dance. But Ray went in like at a young age, Ray was professional with flamenco by the time he was seven. I could not stand flamenco. My mom would make me go every time she'd come pick me up after work to take me to practice, I'd be like, I'm here to go. Like this, you know, <laughs> and she'd be like, Get in the car. And I was like, oh. So we'd go, and I'd do my little top of the and I couldn't stand it, right? And then my partner smelled, and I really couldn't stand it. <laughs> Hopefully, they're not watching, no, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, anyways, so but I did like to dance, like, I grew up dancing, and so, um. So I did get into modern dancing, and in high school, I was in color guard, which in football season, it's marching with a band, right? But in basketball mm -hmm. season, it's more artistic, and so there's more modern dance and stuff, and I love that. And so um, so then I got, the way I got saved was my friends in high school, they all got saved. Like, my high school was having revival, and I used to write song lyrics for all the rock bands in my school. Well, not all of them, for a few of them that I really liked. And so, uh, and I was very, very dark. Like the, they would tell me that my writing style was very similar to like Edgar Allan Poe. And so, and even when I was in junior high, my teacher submitted works of mine to a publishing company and they were trying to get me to write for them for years. 
but I thought, ah, it's a scam, it's a scam, whatever. When I looked into it as an adult, like the company, I was like, wow, like they really wanted me, you know, <laughs> like I should have written for them, right? But, um, but so I, I had my friends and they got saved. One of the bands, they got like radically saved. And so, but they wouldn't like preach to me or anything. They were just like living out their testimonies in front of me, right? So because of them, I stopped drinking and I stopped smoking and I stopped cussing. And I started listening to, I don't know if you know, the band Striper. Because mm -hmm. I liked heavy metal. I was very much a heavy metal head. And so, um, so Striper, I was like, oh, okay, so I must be a Christian too. Like I'm always with them, except that I wasn't going to church. I hadn't given my life to Jesus. I was just living a cleaner life, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so then one day my teacher, and now I think she was praying on me, my English teacher in high school, she called me out of class and she said, you know, I just noticed that you've been really depressed lately. And I want you to know, I just lived down the street from the school. And this is, you know, she like told me where her house was. And she goes, and if you ever need to talk, you can come talk to me. At that point, I was so innocent. I didn't know what a homosexual was at all. I just thought, oh, she's a real tough woman, you know? And so, uh, and even like guys in guards, they would make fun of them and tease them. I was like, they're just nice guys, leave them alone. I didn't realize they're all gay, you know? Yeah. So, so I was like, but they, they were nice, you know? And so they were good friends. I just didn't know what they were doing, you know? And so, um, so she told me, you know, she goes, you know, I, you know, she goes, I just really want to help you because I, I see that you're really down. And at my, in my mind, I, went, I was like, okay, thank you, Miss Tackett. And I go back to class and, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why am I depressed? My dad's out of the house, so there's no more fighting. We're doing great in color guard. My grades are awesome. I've got money. At that point, I have a boyfriend, you know, like I finally started dating. And so um, I was like, like, everything is good. You know what I mean? Like, why am I depressed? Mm -hmm. But I didn't think I'm not depressed. I'm thinking, why am I depressed? Why does she see that in me? So after school, so that was the last period, of, no, the second to last period of the day. After school, I went and I was in the courtyard just kind of sitting on the benches and I'm trying to figure this out. Like, am I depressed? Is something wrong, you know? So then one of the guys from the rock band that got saved, his name was Philip, Philip Reyes. Mm -hmm. And they were like brothers to me. Like, they were such great guys. I love these guys so much. Even to this day, like, if I see them, like, even I see Philip's mom, because I know where she works, and I get so excited because they were really great guys. Um, mm -hmm. But so Philip, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, Ruby, what's up? What are you doing? Because, like, I was deep in thought, right? So he's like, what are you thinking about? And so I said, I don't know. It's like, Miss Tackett says I'm depressed, and I thought everything was good. So I'm just trying to figure out why I'm down, you know? Oh, dumb, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't realize that she's probably praying on me, you know. Yeah. And so, um, so he goes, I know why you're down, and I'm like, you do? And he goes, Yes. Is that bothering you? Can you see that? Huh? So he, you know, could you see there's something left on the screen? So I go, oh, You okay. do? And he goes, Yes. Uh, he goes, Can I pick you up tonight? And I'm like, Okay. Like, cause I would go out with them all the time. So he picks me up and he takes me to a church service. It was a Wednesday night. And so um, it was uh, the first pastor of the church, the pastor who actually pioneered the church was there at that time. And so he's preaching and he's preaching about how God created us with this uh, part of our heart that it's, it's God created us to serve him. And so when we're not doing that, something's missing. And no matter what we try to fill it with, we're not going to be happy. You know, it's like we're not going to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so that must be it because everything's going right. 
it must be just that I haven't gotten saved. Like I didn't realize, you know, like I haven't totally given myself to God. That's what I'm thinking, right? And actually when I went in, I was like freaked out with the speaking and tongues and I was laughing at them. I'm sitting in the back laughing like they look like freaks, you know? (laughs) Like now I'm one of them. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) So, and I I remember certain people, I won't call them out right now, right? But just watching them speaking to like, oh my goodness, like I'm not doing that, you know? But I love the song service. I love everything, right? And I love the, the preaching. So I answered the altar call that night. And then it's funny because I, my boyfriend, we had driven by the church a few times and there was revival at his high school too. And so he's like, you know, I've been wanting to go to this before this all happened. He's like, I've been wanting to check that church out because I hear a lot about it at school. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. So then when Philip took me, I went home and I called him. I'm like, hey, I went to that church tonight. And he's like, great. He's like, yes, I gave my life to Jesus. I was like, I want you to come. So on Sunday, he went to church with me and he got saved. And so the thing was that we came straight out of the world and we were very fleshy. And so people were kind of like, ugh, you know what I mean? Because like we didn't know, like we were like all, you know, hugging and everything, right? And so, yeah. you know, affectionate, I guess you want to say. And so, but at the time I was very, very innocent still, you know, like I told mm-hmm. you, I didn't even know what a homosexual was, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, so people kind of stayed away from us because of it and didn't like, nobody really, really followed up on me. So, but the pastor's wife at the time, she was like trying to talk to me and reach out to me. And mm-hmm. so they got me to move into, we had a girl's home at that time, a girl's home and a boy's home. And so I was like, yeah, like I was knocking along with my mom's husband. I was like, yeah, it's probably best for me to go, you know? So I went. But then in the girls' home, they weren't getting along there either, right? And so sometimes I would go spend the, well, a couple of times I went to go spend the night at the pastor's wife's house when the pastor was out somewhere preaching. I would go stay with her. Mm-hmm. And so one night we're going to sleep and I was like, hey, like I had been in the, the girls' home for like a week and a half at this point. I was like, hey, I'm going to move home. I'm going to go home. And she's like, why do you want to leave the girls' home? I said, because if I'm going to live in a hostile environment, I'd rather be my blood relatives than people I barely know. Yeah. <laughs> and like they're fighting over which spatula to use over the eggs or the pancake spatula it's like this is ridiculous you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so i can't handle it and then i was rooming with bridget harris at the time she wasn't harris at the time and she would get so mad at me because i'm a little teenager and i have all these stuffed animals all over my bed and we had bunk beds well i would put my stuffed animals on her bed just to make my bed i had to stand on her bed to make my bed it's a bunk bed and she would come in and get after me. I was like, get over it. They're not taking permanent residence on your bed, you know? <laughs> and so we'd be fighting all the time. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. So I went back home. But um, when, she, when the pastor got back into town, she did talk to him. And they all did actually come in and apologize to me. Because, you know, they were like, okay, we were being bad testimonies. Like, you're a brand new convert. And we shouldn't have been fighting so much in front of you kind of a thing. And they got it right. And almost all of them are still there today. And we had wonderful relationships. As a matter of fact, when Bridget was passing away, I, I love Bridget. Um, I mean, my final words to her were like, girl, as iron sharp as irons, like you have sharpened me, like I love you, you know, and I can't believe, like in fact, then mm-hmm. I would have never thought that I would miss her as much as I do today, you know? And so mm-hmm. and I do, she's wonderful. She was wonderful, she was a great friend. Um, but so, where was I going? I, I lose my train of thought. Um, we were just talking about how you got saved. So oh, I got saved. Yeah. basically it was through through that. Yeah, through that. So then but what happened was, right, but then I was so involved in school and I was working and everything that I was missing a lot of church. 
And so, so it was actually my boyfriend. Um, we went to prom and prom night, like, you know, I didn't know anything about, um, you know, the, how boys react differently to affection and stuff like that. Like, and on prom night, he actually, he forced himself on me. Um, it was a really horrible experience for me. And then I felt like, well, now I have to stay with him. And he was so ashamed of what he had done. He didn't want to go back to church. And so, um, so I stayed with him and then that relationship became very violent. It was really, it was really bad relationship until we finally broke up. And at this point I'm feeling like, okay, I chose to follow him because I didn't want to be with other guys because of what happened, you know, it's like, and I know God would have forgiven me, but I feel like, I don't feel like it's right. I feel like I'd be taking advantage of God's grace to ask him for forgiveness because I made the decision to walk away. And so I wouldn't get saved and people would come and they would reach out to me and come to my house. At this point, I was in a movie. Uh, I was now working professionally as a dancer, uh, uh, as a dance studio, I was a dance instructor. I did ballroom dance, Latin and country Western. And, um, and I'm very, very now I'm just like, you know what, I'm gonna go to hell anyway. So I just went head on into my sin. I drank more than I had ever drank before. Um, I was like really, really bad. And, and I was still underage, you know, at this point, mm -hmm. I'm like, how old were you at that time? At this time, I'm going to be 17 years old, 17. And I'm now I'm living on my own. I'm doing my own thing. I'm making a lot of money. I'm miserable as can be because I know I'm separated from Jesus, but I just don't feel like it's right to repent. Does that make sense? Or to ask for forgiveness. And so, um, so I was downtown. Me and my friend decided to go to North Star Mall that day. And we lived on the south side. And so I was like, hey, let's take the bus. Like, I had a really, really nice Camaro. Uh, and I loved my car. But anyways, um, <laughs> it was my first car. What a first car, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I said, let's take the bus. Like, I haven't taken the bus since my mom was, like, little. She would take us downtown. And so she's like, okay. So we were going downtown. So we're transferring to North Star Mall. But we're downtown. And there was this homeless-looking type of a man. And he was, like, probably half a block away. But he caught like he started looking at me like from that far and it to me like you I thought I felt like he was checking me out right and I'm trying to look at this homeless pervert like I'm even gonna look at him like he's grossing me out you know and he's coming like closer closer and then he just walked straight up to me and said you used to be a Christian didn't you and I was like yes you know and he's like wow. why don't you give your life back to Jesus and I was like I want to I was like but I just don't feel like so I started telling him I don't feel like it's right and I, he sat down with me and I told him my whole story. And the whole time he was telling me, Jesus loves you and he wants you back. And so I was like, okay. So I told him, I just, I don't know. I was like, I don't feel right, you know. So then he got up and he said, have you ever seen me before? And I said, no. And he goes, I've never seen you before a day in my life. So who do you think is talking to you? And then he walked away. And so we're in the middle of the block and the downtown blocks are long, right? Wow. So he walks away and my friend goes, what a weirdo. And all I did was, I'm watching him and I said, was say, turn around and said, shut up, you know? And then I looked back and he was completely gone. And so it was very shortly after that, several supernatural, that was a paranormal things, like demonic things happened to me. Um, so where I was like, okay, no. So I was about to go teach dance lessons at a vacation resort in Colorado with my studio. Um, I don't know if you ever saw Dirty Dancing, but like they were they were mm -hmm. dance instructors at a vacation resort. That's what I was going to go do. And so something told me, you're going to die over there. If you go, you're going to die in your sin. 
So the day we were supposed to leave, I called my boss. And when you're in the entertainment industry, they really make you feel like they own you. And my boss was really like an Italian mafia type of guy. As a matter of fact, I think he was running from the Italian mafia in Vegas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he was the only man who could make me cry over the phone because I was afraid of him besides my dad. Right. And so it's like, so he's like, what do you mean you're not going? And I was like, you know what? Scratch that. Or why do you mean you can't go? I said, scratch that. I quit. I'm not going. And I didn't give him a chance to get out there. I just hung up. And that's when we had pay phones. So he couldn't call me back. <laughs> so, so yeah. like some of our listeners, if they're young, they don't even know what a pay phone is. I know, right? You just have to get a quarter and put it in a phone to be able to make a call. <laughs> I'm dating myself, Melissa. <laughs> so, um. So I went to church that night and I was at that time, we didn't even have a solid building, but so there was, okay. A couple of times where my mom even scared me. Like I thought the rapture had happened while I was backslidden and I started calling people the like, numbers I remember from the church. Cause back then you memorized numbers. Right. And, and I was like, if they answer, I know I'm okay. And they answered. So I hung up. Right. And so I was like, okay, the rapture hasn't happened. But then now, you know, I was like, I knew I had knew I had found out where the church was meeting. And we were at the Plaza Party House on the south side. And I went into church. It was March 14th of 1990. And I was just like, Jesus, I don't care about the dog eating the crumbs at the table. I just don't want to live without you anymore. And so I gave my life back to Jesus. And now it's been 33 years. <clears throat> wow, praise God. So you were how old when you initially got saved? And how long were you backslidden for? I was 16 when I initially got saved. When I could say I was officially backslidden, I was 17. And then I was backslidden for two years. And I can tell you for those two years, I drank to pass out every single night because I was so miserable that if I did, if I made it home awake, like not, not sober because I was never sober, but if I made it home awake, I had a huge bottle of NyQuil and I would just take a swig of it. And then I wouldn't even get to get my shoes off. I just pass out. And so, um, so I, I, God's grace that I didn't die of some kind of alcohol poisoning or something, you know, but yeah. Yeah, that is definitely God's grace. And that just kind of brings to mind, you know, they say like, it's like, it's seven times worse when you leave God, yeah. you know, the, the demons and everything, but God's grace was there for you. That's so powerful. Much, so much. Yes. Wow. And, um, so when did you where when I know you said that there was another pastor there. So when did Pastor Ruby come after you came back or was it still the first pastor when you went back and got saved in 19? You said 1980. I came back in 1990. No, Pastor Ruby had 90, been there. Okay. I, think, I think he had already been there for two years. Because actually I had gone to his first service in the church when he took over because I had heard about it. And I wanted to check out the new pastor because the first pastor, he was very um, he was a musician. And he was very engaged with the teenagers. So like after church, like we would all sit on the floor. He'd just be playing his guitar and be talking to us and answering our questions about the Bible or whatever, you know. And like I said, I would stay at his house when he was out of town with his wife, you know. So it's like we were very, um, I, I was not super close to them, but drawn to them. I was very drawn to them, I would say. And although the pastor's wife, she wasn't very involved. Like she didn't do a whole lot in the church. Um, and there was a, I gotta say, I don't even know. I mean, she was very, very sweet. I really liked her. She really did help me a lot, but she didn't do mm -hmm. a lot. And so, because I didn't see her ever have to like struggle with 
the nursery or whatever. It's like, I just felt like she was perfect. And I felt like I'll never be perfect like her. You know, <laughs> I never saw her frustrated or have to rebuke anybody or, or give a teachable moment. I shouldn't say rebuke, right? It's like they're teachable moments. <laughs> uh, but you know, when you're a teenager, you're thinking, oh, wow, like I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> but I never. Hey, rebuke I, is in the Bible. No. Yes. <laughs> I thank God for it, right? Um, but um, but I never I never saw her like do anything except take care of her kids, and so I never saw her upset or dis disappointed or anything like that, you know. And so she was just very very calm and quiet, and I was like, I'm you can see I'm a chatterbox, and so I was like, you know, I I remember trying to be quiet one time because my best friend was very quiet in junior high. I was like, I did it for like three minutes and I couldn't do it anymore. And so, you know, so I just felt like, oh, like I always would, my mouth would get me in trouble. And I just felt like I'm never going to be able to be good like her, you know? <laughs> but, Whoa. Um, yeah. So, so you come back into the church. So how was that, like the coming back in, um, you feel like you went back in or how, how did that, how did that happen? It was like how a shocker go? because after that service, they were having a rock drama as an outreach. And when I'm walking into the building, it's at a high school, and they're playing secular heavy metal songs. I'm like, what happened to the church? Like, this would have never happened back then. It's like, oh, my gosh, is the church still saved kind of a thing, right? And then I went in, <laughs> I went, I liked the music, and I'm like, there's something wrong because they're playing things that I like, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I went in, and it was such a powerful presentation. Like, I loved it. And then I got, I understood, okay, this is what they're doing, right? It's like I didn't remember, like they, they, I had never seen a rock drama before, but uh, I had seen skits and I had been to the concert, which it took a long time to even get me to a concert because Doris would, would follow up on me and she would tell me, like, you need to come, you need to come. And I tell her, like, I go to real concerts. I'm sure your church concert isn't going <laughs> to impress me, you know. And she's like, <laughs> finally, she told me, if you come, we'll do Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. And I don't know if they were already doing that song or if they did it just because of me. But I was like, all right, man, I'll be there. You know, <laughs> you want me to go that bad? Right? And so I went and I loved the concert like because it was like, wow, like the missing element to the other concert that I had gone to was Jesus, right? And it was such an anointed yeah. time and it was so awesome. Like I loved it and I went to every concert since. And so, um, so I'm coming back and then it was the, the Rubies were there and it was awesome because I'm because I'm a very active person and I like to do things. I like to be involved. You know, I want to help. I want to serve. And not to say anything bad about the previous pastor's wife, but Yolanda, awesome servant leadership. Like, you know, she is the epitome of servant leadership. She serves so much and she does so much for the congregation. She's so involved. And I did see her have to get after people. Or I did see her disappointed with how something came out. Or, and I was like, I'm normal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like she was very transparent because it's okay to be human, right? <laughs> like we're Christians, yeah. but, but we're human. And so and so she was just like an awesome example. And so I really liked watching her. But at the same time, because she was so awesome, I was intimidated by her. Where like the other pastor's wife, I could go up to her, no problem. Uh, with her, I was kind of like, oh, like, a, you know, it's like she's awesome. And I, you know, I, I don't think I could be that awesome. <laughs> and so I was just, you know, I'm a young girl and I'm just watching her. And so I was like kind of afraid to talk to her. And actually, I actually didn't really accept that I got kicked out of nursery. I got sat down from nursery. 
Can you believe that? <laughs> they begged for Why? nursery workers because I hated kids. I hated kids. And so God really had to help me. So people would come pick up their kids from the nursery and I'd be handing them their kid like, here's your kid. Your kids are back. Hey, you need to spank your kid. Here's your bat. Spank them. Hey, he needs a spanking. Hey, she needs a spanking. Do you ever spank your kids? You know? <laughs> so... I'm 19 and I'm the expert in parenting, right? And so, uh, so Yolanda called me aside and she's like, "Hey, Ruby, I'm getting complaints about the nursery. Like, what's um, what's what's the problem?" I said, "Well, the problem is that I can't spank these brats. That's the problem." And so she goes, she goes "Oh, your problem." Oh, and but to that point, I'm like, "I'm doing y'all a favor. Like, you should be glad that you even show up." I would literally go into nursery saying, "I don't feed because I don't want food to spit on me, and I don't do diapers. I play." And that's what I would do. Diane Galena said that one time she was telling me, like, get this rat out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so she's like, I don't want you in my nursery anymore. And I was like, well, okay. But I walked away and I was like, oh, man, like they need help in the nursery for them to tell me they don't want me to help. I must be super horrible. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, okay, God. And then I, it just hit me as like God really dealt with me, like to serve in the kingdom of God in any capacity is a privilege and an honor. You're not doing anybody a favor. It's a blessing to you to be able to do this, right? Yes. And you need to be a blessing. And so I was like, I repented right away. Like as soon as I walked away from her and got in my car, I was like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Because I, I do repent right away usually, right? I was like, okay, but I need to make sure my repentance is genuine. <laughs> so I waited like a <laughs> month before I went and I talked to her. I was like, okay, Yolanda, I'm very sorry for my attitude. I had a horrible attitude about her. So he's like, I didn't grow up to be domestic. I don't like his. I never played with Barbies. I like, you know, that's just not who I am. And so uh, I said, but I'm very sorry. I do want to help. And, you know, I was like, I realized it was a blessing for me to be able to serve. And I was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. She's like, you're not going to be a brat. <laughs> and I go, no, I won't be a brat. <laughs> and so, so I said, and so when we got uh, uh, asked to be door, when we were asked to be door directors and she, we were having our nursery meeting, our fellowship with the women, she started laughing when she announced me as the nursery director because she was like, I can't believe she's leading the nursery, you know? <laughs> and she told everybody the story. <laughs> Yeah. And thank God, you know, God, God had to change my heart about kids because I was going to marry into kids. And so. Yeah. So tell us about tell us about that now. Like, OK, so um, you were 19 at that point mm -hmm. and you came back to Jesus. So what happened? Um, you know, your discipleship experience. How did, did you meet your husband? You said you met him in the church. Yes. When we were both at, at 16 when I first went in. I, it's when I met him. Okay, and so he was still there. He had left too. It's funny because he left about the same time I did and came back about the same time I did, but we didn't do that together. Um, so okay. he, but he had already known who I was because I worked at the mall, and so he knew me, but I didn't know him, right? But so then, you know, when we come back, we come back, and he's married. Actually, what happened was before that, there was a time when we were at a fellowship, and this is really weird, like. I just remembered this a few months ago, and I told Ray, like, this is so weird, but I just remembered this, that we were at a pizza fellowship at a place on the south side, a pizza place, and Ray was sitting next to me, and I don't know, he handed me something, or he turned to me, and he said something, and something told me he's going to be your husband one day, and I thought, that's weird, because I have a boyfriend, right? 
I was like, that is weird. And I just kind of cast it aside. Then when we both come back, he's married. And I'm like, okay. So when, okay. when I first saw his wife, they were at the mall. When I saw him with his wife and she was very tall and he's not, right? And so I was like, wow, where did Ray get that tall girlfriend, you know? And so then <laughs> and when I come into church, they're married and they come back, they come into church together. And, um, and she actually became one of my best friends. Like we got so close. I was very much a third wheel in their marriage. Like she was very passive and very like, you know, just very quiet. And so I would get into arguments with Ray for her. I'd be like, tell him something. Like, don't do this. And, <laughs> and, you know, as I, he was a great husband, right? It's just like, you know, it's just, yeah. just dumb little things where I'd be like, don't put up with that, you know? So wow. So okay. So she's your your one of your best friends or one of your good friends. Yeah. And um, she was married to him. They came back in around the same time. So were you kind of like, now you're growing up with her, or were you kind of discipling her because she wasn't there before? No. Well, I had just met her when they got married, right? So uh, like okay. when they came in. So we're kind of growing up together, but I already knew a little bit more than her. And um, I think I learned faster. Like I, I learned really, really quick. And so, um, so there were things where I, I would say maybe I was maybe ahead of her, but not too much. You know what I mean? I mean, she, she was very much like she was the first experience, the second experience that I had of a Christian dying. And um, okay. like there was no doubt in my mind that this girl was going to heaven because she was just so good. Like she was just a good person. You know what I mean? But she had Jesus. So I know left to her herself. Everybody would have thought she would make it to heaven anyways because she was so good. But she did need Jesus and she did have him. So yeah, right. But so yeah. Okay. So um so a lot of our listeners maybe don't know mm-hmm. about Pastor Ray's or you know, Evangelist Ray Falan's first marriage. So or that um that she passed away. Can you tell us a little bit about all of that? You know, because uh, how long were was she in the church before she passed? I think ten years. I think it was ten years. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, because no, about almost nine years. So, um, so we came back. Like I came back. Actually, I came back before he did. I came back in March. I think they came back in May, or they came in May. Um, and we were very much in dramas together you know, uh, different, just, we were very, very active in things in ministry together. Um, and so, you know, we're just friends and just growing along and we're growing together. Iron sharpens iron. And I don't know, I don't see it so much in the youth of today, but like we were always together and we'd be like calling each other out. If you're like starting this way to the left, like, Hey man, you know, you didn't show up to church. We'd be at the door. Why weren't you at church? You know? (laughs) Right. And so we were very, very close like that. And everybody would hang out at Ray and Josie's house. There was times where and I don't recommend it for you younger Christians. uh, Like we would like all stay there all night fellowshipping until it was time to go to work in the morning. We'd go home, get ready, go to work, come back. And like one time we did that three days in a row. Like where we didn't sleep. We were just fellowshipping, fellowshipping and fellowshipping. But it was all good fellowship. Like it was all like talking about the Bible and learning about Jesus and calling each other out on things. And it was a very much a time of growth for all of us. Right. And so, um, so it, it was a good time and we were very close. And so she was a very good friend of mine. And I knew whenever she would have babies that she would have headaches, she would all suffer from headaches after giving birth. So they had had their last two, she had the last baby, uh, Jared, 
So they had three kids together. They had Ashley, Asia, and then Jared. And um, she didn't come to church one night. And so I went up to Ray and I was like, hey, Ray, where's Josie? And he goes, she's having headaches again. And I was like, oh, okay. So Jared was about a month old. And I got home and I called her. I said, Josie, how are you doing? And she was crying. And she's crying and she goes, I think I had a seizure. I dropped the baby. And she was crying because she had dropped him, right? And I was like, are you able to drive yourself? Because they lived very close, like not even a mile away from the hospital. I said, are you able to drive yourself to the hospital? And she said, yes, I think so. And I said, okay, when Ray gets home, you get to the hospital. I was further away. I said, I'm going to leave right now. And I'm going to meet you there. And she said, okay. So we went. And I was so close to her. Like, I videotaped. Well, I was supposed to videotape Jared's birth. She said she wasn't ready to go into labor. I was like, are you sure? I'm going to go buy a book at the bookstore. Are you sure? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, okay. I was there in the hospital at the gift shop to go buy a book. I come back and he's crying. I'm like, you said he wasn't ready to come out. You know, she's like, I didn't think I was. <laughs> so anyway, so I didn't get to videotape his birth, but I was there when he was born. And so, um, so now, so I knew her OBGYN. That's how close we were. I knew her OBGYN. And so, he was on call that night at the hospital by chance, right? So we're there at the hospital. They've been taking her through tests and scans and everything. And now it's like 4.30 in the morning. And I'm supposed to go to work the next day. But I'm like, there's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call in. Like, I'm, there's no way I can function at work right now. So I see him. I, I go to look for, like, what's going on. Somebody needs to give us some kind of answers. I didn't know he was there. And then I saw him. And he's pacing back and forth in front of some scans. And I'm like, Dr. Alex is eight. What's, what's going on? And he goes, come here, Ruby. And so he calls me over to her scans. And he shows me her, her brain scan, right, or her head scan. And there's this huge ball, like the size of a small orange, on her frontal lobe. And he said, do you see this? And I said, yes. He goes, that's cancer. No, he goes, that's a tumor. And I said, and I just looked at him and said, is it cancer? And he said, yes. And I said, okay. So by this time, like, we finished talking. It was almost 6 in the morning. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, so I start calling people from the church. And I'm like, look, I got, Ray's going to need some babysitters. And I need to get these kids to y'all. Like, can, can you watch, you know, one of his kids, two of his kids? Cause... So I found babysitters for all of them. So I call Ray. And I'm like, Ray, are you sitting down? And he's like, no. I said, sit down. So he sat down and I said, look, I'm going to tell you first, I said, I've got babysitters. This person's going to take care of Asia. This person's going to take care of Jared. You need to drop them off before you come to the hospital. You need to get here. Josie has cancer. And he just, he said that he sat there thinking he's 27, about 27 years old. Right? No, no, no. He was 26, I think. Yeah, he was 26. And so he's like, oh my gosh, like this cannot be happening to me. You know what I mean? And he's like, we've just, and yeah. he said, he's looking at Jared and Jared's just a little baby. And he's like, I can't do this alone, you know? So yeah. he gets all the kids to the babysitters and then he comes to the hospital and I just update him with everything. And at that point I checked out because I've been up with her all night and I'm going home. But for the next three years, almost, I was with them almost every step of the way. So I think I stopped counting at seven craniotomies. Like she had seven brain surgeries. This cancer was mm -hmm. very rare and very aggressive. 
And there was actually doctors from other nations coming to study her because it was so rare. Um, yeah. And so, but she was super, you know, she'd have surgery yeah. and she'd be back in the band and she'd be driving and she'd be taking care of the kids and she'd be doing drama skits. And she was so funny because I remember one time she was beautiful, beautiful. And so one time I'm driving and I have her in the car with me, she's bald because of the chemo, right? And so she's got a hat on and there's a guy in the car next to us and he's trying to come on to her, like flirt with her. And she goes, look at this boy. I go, I start laughing. I go, I go, I wonder what he'd do if he saw your head, right? Because you know, she was bald. And she goes, let's see. And she turns around, she takes off her head. She starts scratching her head. He took off. He just drove off. And wow. we were laughing. So this is like very much a part of your life, yes, you know? Very much. Yes. And so um, so I went with them through it all the way. And then my grandma, the last 30 days, like two weeks before Josie passed away, my grandma got, she was diagnosed with cancer and she was given 30 days to live. And so, mm, and at sorry. the same time, my aunt was in the hospital and she was very, very sick too. I didn't know if she was going to die or not, but she was very sick. So I'm, luckily they were all in the same hospital. So I would go visit them all, right? Um, but so I started noticing like Josie was getting like her thought pattern wasn't as good. You know what I mean? Like then she mm -hmm. had her last surgery. Before she had her last surgery, I had a discussion with her. And I was like, Josie, because now it's becoming real to me. Like she might actually die. Like I used to think, no, she's a Christian. She's not going to die. Like we're victorious, you know? And so mm -hmm. I was like, Josie, if you were to pass away in this surgery, do you want me to pray over you and try to raise you from the dead? And there was no doubt in either one of our minds that even if she died, even though God hadn't healed her or anything right now, there was no doubt in either one of our minds that God could raise her from the dead, you know? And so she thought about it. Mm -hmm. She took a few seconds and she's like, no, let me go be with Jesus. And I was crushed because wow. I wasn't ready to lose her. And I was like, okay, well, I got to honor that, right? I shouldn't have asked. I shouldn't have prayed over you. <laughs> but, um, but I'm like, okay. So... When she passed away that night, it was my night to stay with my grandmother. All the aunts and uncles and cousins were taking shifts with my grandma. And that was my night to stay with my grandma. Mm -hmm. So when I got home in the morning, I didn't know she had passed away. And I had, I think I had turned off my phone so that nobody would wake up my grandma. It was back then when we had just the little slim phones, you know, they, they weren't as advanced as they are today. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I think I had turned off the phone or the ringer. And when I got home to my apartment, um, one of my sisters called from church and she's like, she's talking to me thinking that I'm taking it hard that Josie had passed away. But at this point, I didn't even know. And so uh, I, yeah. when she told me, I was like, she died. And I just broke down crying. I was like, I didn't finish. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't even get to finish with her. I didn't get to, you know, be there. And it's funny because her last surgery, like I could see that she was, at first she was fine. But after about three days, she was losing her motor skills. So I knew it was going to be time, but, you know, I would go and I would talk to her and stuff. And she would just like rub my head. Like she could barely rub my head. She'd be doing this with her hand, you know? And the first thing I said when I saw her, because she was doing okay the first few days, was I asked Ray, when can we do plastic surgery? And cause she looked really, really bad. And he said, not for a year. And I said, okay, we can do this for a year. You know, like, I just need to know a time frame to be mentally yeah. prepared so that, you know, but we can do this. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so she passed away and 
I was like, oh, no. So I, it, it really, I felt like I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't there for her. I didn't finish. I felt like I was running this race. And then right at the finish line, I cut out. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah. so it was very hard for me. And at that point, I stopped talking to Ray because I was like, okay, he liked me as a teenager. Um, you know, it's like, we're so close. He was really like a brother to me. Like we would argue and stuff, just like brother and sister. And we're so close. I like, it would be so convenient for him to just start wanting to like, because he needs a nanny and I'm not a nanny. Okay. And so I, I did not talk to him. <laughs> so I would ignore him. I just totally blow him off. I wouldn't tell him hi, nothing. Um, and so then my grandma, I'm at school, I'm in college and I'm like, cause I was full-time college student and full-time, I was working three jobs at the time too. And so I'm trying to catch up with all my schoolwork. And so I turned off my phone cause I was like, people are going to get me distracted. So I turned off my phone, I'm at school and I'm getting all my schoolwork done. I'm done for the night. It's like 1030 and I turn on my phone and I'm getting message after message. Ruby, get over here. Ruby, grandma's going to die right now. Ruby, you need to come. You know, Ruby, grandma's passed away, like for all my family, right? And so she had already passed away. And because they were, those messages were coming in earlier. And so I broke there at school. Like, I didn't finish with her either. <laughs> and so, um, so did my grandma's funeral. Did Josie's funeral, did my grandma's funeral. I get home from my grandma's funeral. I get a call from my sister in Chicago that my nephew passed away. So the next day I'm on a plane over to my nephew's funeral. I come back that aunt that was in the hospital yeah. who I tried to witness to, who was very, very, very Catholic. Like she had a life-size Virgin Mary with a picket fence and greenery in her living room. When I would try to witness her, she yeah. would tell me she didn't want to hear it. Like she couldn't even talk and she was just like, and I was like, okay. So by her time, I was like, you know what? I tried, she didn't want to hear it. I'm not going to her funeral. I'm going to Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, I took off to Costa Rica. Wow. <laughs> like I'm done with death. I call it my wow. season of death. But so for six months, I didn't talk to Ray at all, but I was watching him like with the kids and stuff. You know what I mean? It's like everybody was watching him because they were like, okay, what's he going to do? How's he going to fare? You know, it's a lot of pressure to be raising three kids mm -hmm. as a man, especially like, you know, the schools would give him a hard time because he wasn't a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and he was doing a very good job. Yolanda would say, man, some moms could really learn from Ray because the girl's hair would be done. They'd be dressed pretty. Jared always looked nice, you know? Um, so he did yeah. a really, really good job. And then what happened was he was gonna die. His daughter asked, he was almost nine years old. And I heard that he was gonna die. Her hair stopped light red. And so somebody came up to me, they're like, can you talk to him? Cause you're probably the only one he'll listen to. Like, this is a crazy idea. <laughs> and so I was like, stop light red. She's a little kid, you know? So I saw him in the parking lot and I was like, wait, what's this? You're gonna die after his hair stop light red? He's like, well, she's gonna have a mom. I'm like, well, her mom wouldn't be doing that at this age. That's stupid, you know. <laughs> so we got into a big <laughs> argument about it, and that's how we started talking again. And so, um, wow. so we, I mean, we just started talking. Okay, just, uh, just we're gonna just take a break because right now it's uh, we've already been on. So I'm gonna hear more about your um, courtship and everything that happened with um, Pastor Philon. <laughs> And all your experiences and your, you know, your discipleship experiences and how you decided to enter pastoral ministry. But we're going to save that conversation for our premium subscribers. Okay. So there's going to be links to subscribe in the show notes below. And every dollar uh, goes to World Evangelism. We don't keep a dime for our regular listeners. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait for next time. We're going to be right back with our second half for our premium subscribers. 
Thank you.